Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends, your family, and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. Ava Benasaki is the co-founder and CEO of CPI Capital and is one of those individuals who values hard work, contribution, and compassion above all else. She is raised in a small town, Alberta, and became one of the youngest award-winning agents at Remax and with a passion and the drive to be a top performer. She became unstoppable thereafter. Courageous in facing her fears, Ava was and continues to be ready to write her own story and expand on that story. From small town Alberta, she moved to big city Vancouver, where she built a strong network of real estate investors, while at the same time learning and continuing to grow. Today, Ava has gained the resilience and persistently expands her knowledge and competency in the field of real estate investments as she builds her business, CPI Capital, to serve her clients in being both successful and profitable in their investments. Listen in. Let's get this show started. Eva Benisaki, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So happy to have you join me on the show today. I'm so happy to be here, Patrick. I cannot wait to bring value to your listeners. I've heard a lot of your um, past podcasts and wow, you had some incredible guests. Yeah, we've had some great guests and I know that you are going to be an amazing guest. Uh, let's give our listeners a little bit of background into who Ava is and what it is you do. Let's talk about business because you've got a very strong real estate background and uh, that's primary your business, but let's talk about it. What do you do? When somebody says, Ava, what do you do? What's your answer? 
I say, I am CEO of CPI Capital. It's a real estate private equity firm. Um, I manage the day-to-day operations and I'm also head of investor relations. Um, CPI's mandate is we partner with passive investors as limited partners to acquire value-add multifamily assets in the US. And we're focused on the Sunbelt states. Now, I'm also the YouTube host of Canadian Passive Investing Academy, where we bring on incredible guest speakers and I interview them and we talk all about real estate investing and wealth building topics. Um, I'm I'm also an author. I just co-authored a book with nine incredible uh, women across Canada where we talked all about our success stories of how we found success through real estate investing. And I'm a thought leader in real estate private equity. And that's that's who I am. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That's a lot. That's awesome. So let's let's give an overview of CPI and you're primarily focused. uh, You said you're in the U.S. Now, Focused on Sunbelt, uh, I'm assuming Florida is is part of that whole configuration. Uh, but you, let's go back a little bit because you are you started out, or a big part of what you're doing still remains in Vancouver, Toronto. Give me a little bit of background, a little bit more on CPI. Yeah, for sure. So CPI Capital, we do only focus on the on the U.S. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We're just strictly in the U.S. Um, my my business partner did do syndication here in BC, um, mm-hmm. but as far as our investor community and the the types of deals we bring to our investor community, it's just, uh, strictly the the Sun Belt states. Okay, so give me some idea what the Sun Belt what it, what give me the scope of where you're looking at real estate and I, and and we'll talk a little bit about that, but then I'm yeah. I'm going to get off that topic for a while. But go tell me a little bit about what you're focused on and where where in the U.S. and what types of properties. Yeah, for sure. So we we uh, target institutional size, hundred plus doors, multifamily assets uh, that have a value add component. We look for the the class A, class B uh, type of garden style apartment community that has a third party property manager, um, you know, an office, a leasing office on site. And we're focused on the Sunbelt states. We really love North and, North and South Carolina, Florida, mm-hmm. big on Florida, uh, big on Florida, uh, Arizona, Texas. We're looking at Nevada. Um, and that's kind of where we're, we're focused right now. Wow. That, okay. So I'm going to come, I'm going to want to come back to that because, you know, in the, in the, you know, really the context for the Everyday Millionaire podcast is seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved extraordinary results. And when we look at the journey to arrive to where you are as a young woman who uh, has really taken on some big responsibility, achieved some great results, I'm always interested in the journey to arrive at where you are today. And, you know, consider were you born that way? You know, tell me a little bit about your background. Where did the entrepreneurial spirit come from? Uh, have you always been entrepreneurial? Did you have a, like a stint is in a corporate world? Give me a little bit about your background and how you got to here. Yeah, for sure. I think the entrepreneurial spirit is in my blood. Uh, my great grandparents immigrated to Canada in 1921 from Europe, um, mm. and they they started farming here in, in Canada. My grandfather fought in World War II, and we have fought. We're, we're we're a family of farmers, if you will. So we have farm. We do farming in Alberta. We do farming in Saskatchewan. We still actually own a farm, um, and I'm actually a really small town girl. So I grew up in a small town in a small city in Alberta. So I might look like a big city girl, but I come from. Very where where I'm an, I'm an Alberta boy, so I was born and raised in Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where were you born? Where were you raised? I'm sure you've heard of Fort Saskatchewan. 
love Fort Saskatchewan. Yeah. What are you talking about? It's been one of the top towns for investing in Alberta, you know, over the years. So I'm very familiar with Fort oh, Saskatchewan. Fantastic. So I, I was born and raised there. So that, wow. that's my hometown. That's where everything began. My, my parents, I come from a family of accountants. Um, so my parents have always had really great worth ethic and, and kind of instilled that in me. So that's a little bit about my, my history of my family. And yeah, the entrepreneur uh, woman in me, uh, I've always loved real estate, Patrick. And I, I started my career really young in real estate at the age of 22 and I started it in good old Fort Saskatchewan. <laughs> you started it as in uh, being a realtor is where you kind of started your journey and uh, got into real estate in that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's where it all began. So I was a real estate agent. Um, of course, when you're a real estate agent in your home city where you grow up, everybody knows, likes and trusts you. Um, so I was able to create a really successful career for myself. It was, it was as, as I mentioned, the no like and trust factor is really important. So yeah, I did really well there. Um, and I, I had an incredible life. But of course, in small towns, kind of the norm is for everybody to get married, start having children, you know, they really stay in that small town. And for myself, I kind of had this big dream of moving to the big city and selling real estate in a big city. Um, so I can get into my journey of that that transition because that's kind of a big a big part of my life. Well, that's exactly that's exactly where I want to go with this because when I consider realtors in general, I mean the data shows that statistically we know that you know we know over the years we've learned after twenty years of being at this you know many realtors. Uh, don't even own their own home, let alone going on to create an investment portfolio, let alone going on to create a fund, you know, or some version of a business model that you've created. Most are happy to just remain realtors and be on the treadmill of selling deals and being who they are in their community, et cetera. So for you, I mean, to have at a young age, to have a vision of something bigger, what do you think drove that? Like, how did that show up for you? Was it from a mentor? or a coach? How did that show up for you? You know what? My my plans on, on building a real estate private equity firm from the ground up didn't even exist in my vision until the world worked in mysterious ways. So my vision was to be a real estate agent. My vision was to take the processes and the systems that I, you know, that worked for me in a small city and take them and go to the big city and become a top performing real estate agent in a big city. That was my my vision. And I was I was on a mission to achieve that. What I did and what really kind of made me step outside my box and go through this massive transition in my life is I decided to move to the big city. So I sold my primary residence. I packed all the fashion I could in the back of my car and I didn't know a single person out in Vancouver. And I was willing to leave it all because, and everybody always asks me this, why would you leave when you have everything? You know, you had a successful career, you had, a, you had a home, you had the nice car, you were able to travel every couple of months, you had everything. It always goes back to what do you feel like when you wake up in the morning, right? I always would wake up, as I mentioned, everybody was getting married, having, having kids around me. I always felt like there was a little bit of an empty space. I felt like there was something bigger out there for me. And real estate is, I love, I love selling real estate in a small city. Everything kind of looks the same. You know what I mean? Every, every house is kind of the same, not very, very uh, expensive home prices. So anyways, I sat my mom and dad down one day and I said, mom and dad, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Vancouver. They're like, what, what? They kind of 
like totally shocked. I don't think that's a good idea. No, I mean, I mean, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. They're like, I was a fearless 27 year old and nothing was stopping me. And my house sold within a week. And as I mentioned, packed my fashion in the back of my car and I came out to the big city. Patrick, I'll never forget driving into Vancouver. It's a 13, 15 hour drive. And it was nighttime. And the city was lit up with all the lights sparkling. And I just seen opportunity. I'm like, I am going to take over this city and I cannot wait. And I got started right away. I got started in real estate right away. And did my dreams ever come to a like hard reality check fast? It is not. That's not the way it works. When you take your systems and processes that you worked when that you use in a small city and you try to use them in the big city where you're a very small fish, where it's like dog eat dog, 23,000 realtors, and I was 40 realtors. Let me tell you, my dreams came to a halt really quick. And I went through this complete like transition in my life for two years. Um, and it was really painful experience for me. Um, but it got me to where I am today. And, and then, yeah, I can kind of, I can talk more about it if you like. Well, I definitely want to hear more about it. And cause I love these types of conversations and I want to go back in, you know, something that you said that kind of tweaked me, which is, you know, really when we're looking and you use the term top performer, you had a vision as to be a top performer in this space. And that's an interesting vision for anybody to have, especially, and I believe, especially a, or particularly a, a young lady who is in a small town, you know, like where does the thought process of being a top performer, where does that live? You know, in, in, you know, my wife, Stephanie, who's a, an Olympic performance coach, mental performance coach, we do mindset matters. We actually do coaching and all the things that we do, but coming to the conclusion of, and having people come to the conclusion that they can be a top performer, we're actually having to point it out to them. You know, like here's a thought process that you can be a top performer. Here's a thought process to follow. You actually did you come out of the shoot thinking top performer? Like, how did you get to the thought process that I have a vision for being a top performer in the big city in the world of real estate? And and it's it's interesting because you used it in your language. And so I'm wondering how how that showed up for you. Like, where do you think it came from? Have you ever considered it, or is it just you know, it just it's just your you know hardwired genetic predisposition? <laughs> That's really great. It's that. Plus, I always realized I was a little bit different from most people. I thought a little bit differently, you know. I I, I always like um, I always said, oh, I'm part of the five a.m. and five a.m. club. You know, the rest of the sure. world is sleeping, and I'm up, and I'm I'm at it, and I'm working out, and I'm doing all these things. So I always thought, and people would sometimes look at me like I'm a little crazy, um, but I always. Yeah, hardwired, but I always, I don't know, Patrick, it's weird. I've always, I, I've, I've life visioned. Okay. So mm -hmm. before I get to some place in my life or before I know where I'm even going to be going, as I try to kind of life vision, uh, certain feelings and emotions. And mm -hmm. I, I guess being a top performer is being viewed, being respected by my peers, being able to help, you know, the masses of people, not just little by little and really trying to make a big difference in the world. That's what I'm like top performer performer, I guess, kind of equates to that for me as well. So I've always been, had this vision of me doing something big like that. So yeah, really, really great question, but 
I want to keep digging into this, you know, yeah. and, and, and I do because I think there's so much value for anybody listening and understanding because you're hitting on really key points, you know, about being top performer. The other word you just used was being a contribution. And contribution, if you can get to that early on, that it's always about contribution. You know, a lot of people go, I want to make more money. You know, I want to be a big deal. It's all driven by ego. You use the word very clearly is that you saw yourself being a contribution and you wanted to be a contribution in a really big way. Now, when you focus on being a contribution, you're actually focused on others. You're not navel gazing. It's not about you. You're not, although you may be driven by an ego part of it, because we all have some, our ego tells us we're either going to be a big deal or play small, whatever. That's a whole different conversation. But the point is, is that, so contribution was something for you is, and, and do you think that was in your upbringing? Was that your parents or was that once again, do you think it was just your genetic predisposition to be a contribution to others? Yeah, no, I think that again, in my genetics, of course, my parents, you know, they're, they, they taught me to be a nice, genuine person and to help others. Right. So I think, I think with just the mindset that I had growing up and who I am just internally, um, it's, it's hardwired in my mind. It's really hardwired. Mm. Money will always come, you know, fame will always come. If you go after those, you know, things, I don't think anything will work out for a person. They have to, they have to have a clear vision on what's right. And then all that stuff kind of follows. Right. But that's not what's important. What's important is contributing, helping people, helping people by the masses. That was my kind of that's what I wanted to do was really make a difference by doing something. Mm -hmm. Right. And that something was by, you know, helping people buy and sell real estate until I had a different path that was set out for me that I didn't even realize yet. So, okay, so let's go and let's talk about the path. How did that? So first off, you said there was about a two year period where there was lots of struggles. You know, it was also, you know, these journeys, you know, these struggles, these things that show up in our life are always in reflection. In hindsight, we look back at them and go, gosh, this is exactly what had to happen for me to be where I am today. But was there a turning point, like a, a fork in the road moment that you had in that period after you first moved to Vancouver that took you down the direction you were going? What what happened there? Yeah, so it all kind of started with having this dream, right, of wanting to, you know, succeed, uh, living off, like, moving to Vancouver. My, my expenses obviously tripled when I got here. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, so that was uh, a reality check in itself. But um, what I noticed is that being a, a, coming from a small city, when somebody gives you their word, okay, in mm-hmm. business, that's their mm-hmm. word. They're going to stick by it. When I got here, I was too trusting, too nice. I was an errands girl. I realized, okay, nobody knows me here. Nobody likes me. Nobody trusts me. I don't know anybody. I got to, I got to build that. Um, so what was the next best thing? Okay, well, let's work with realtors who already have that successful career going. And that's what I did. I partnered, I, I guess I didn't partner up. I worked underneath realtors and I realized that I was just an errands girl. It's just an errands mm. girl. Nothing was really happening for me. And it was just this constant, constantly for about two years of me trying to make it and and it just really not working out for me. Not to mention the Vancouver real estate market uh, actually kind of went in a in a dip down. Yeah. And when that happened, top performers they were struggling at that time as well. So it was just timing was off. There was a lot of calls home to mom and dad, cried with tears. Them saying, you know what, you tried come back home. That mm-hmm. is, it wasn't meant to be. It wasn't meant to be. And I being like 
this resilient person and realizing how strong I actually was to be able to say, you know what? I'm not coming home with my tail between my legs. I, I don't care what it takes. I am going mm-hmm. to make it here. So it was, it was this struggle that I went through that kind of made me look at my life and say, okay, I got to reinvent myself here. You know, yeah, it's not working out for you right now. That's okay. There's something else planned. You're going to keep going because you're not going to fail. Whatever's meant to be will happen. And essentially what I did was I reinvented myself as a woman, as a businesswoman. Um, and my, it kind of goes back to my, what my dad always taught me. He always said, surround yourself with people who are much smarter than you. Okay. Mm-hmm. People who you're going to learn from. No matter where, what stage you are in your life, surround yourself with people that are much smarter than you that you're going to learn from. And I did that when I was here. So it, I was on my last kind of string, if you will. <laughs> and I was sitting down with a, with a kind of a small developer that I, that I was a friend of mine. And we got talking. And throughout our conversations and us talking, we kind of had this epiphany, okay? Because what we realized is that buying properties in Vancouver that are very expensive. Okay. Most of the times you're in negative cash flow. In Alberta, when I sold real estate, there's cash flow, which is great, but there's not much, you know, appreciation that's going to happen. There's not significant appreciation that's going to happen like Vancouver. So you kind of, you kind of switch the scripts on both provinces. But as we were talking, we realized that a lot of people want to invest in real estate. Okay. A lot of people have that are busy professionals that have money and they want to invest in real estate. That's great. But a lot of people don't have the time, knowledge or expertise on where to really put their money. So that is when we realized that we could build a company that finds great investments and bring it on a platter to investors that want to invest in real estate, but don't really know where to begin. So that's kind of where CPI Capital was formed is we we realized that there was this problem that existed for people, I mean, for millions of people, and we wanted to come up with a solution to that problem. And I say this because this is really important. There was a problem and we wanted to come up with a solution to that problem. I think a true entrepreneur somebody who has that true entrepreneur spirit, they don't have just a random idea and they build this great company around this random idea. I think they try to solve a problem and that's what really makes great companies. Did you have a, when you were in, is, is, so this person is now your, your partner is the same person that yeah. you started with. How, when, what year was that? How long ago was that now, Ava? That was probably about four years ago now. Four years ago now, yeah. and so you've you've had a lot of success with it. In were you really clear at the time? Because you know, can you share with us a little bit about CPI? You know, your your I guess we'll call it your mission. What are your values? What is what do you want your brand to stand for when somebody says you know CPI Capital? What do you want it to stand for? What do you want it to be known for? Yeah, it's a it's a strong investor community that has uh, integrity, transparency, investors. This investment firm that we built is really for uh, investors to show up and be completely taken care of, where they don't have Mm -hmm. to worry about a thing. Um, And that's kind of the culture that we built here is transparency. And and we built uh, a community of like-minded individuals 
who want to build wealth and learn from each other, learn all about cool real estate kind of investing ideas and how to build wealth. And, and I'll tell you all the experts that I've interviewed on my show, the stuff that I've learned, Patrick, in the last few years of my life, I get to now share that with this investor community that I built. And every sure. day I'm getting on calls, hundreds of calls with investors in the last little while here. And, and people are really grateful um, because people don't know what they don't know. So when you can go and you can educate them on these, you know, ways to save tax or use whole life insurance to do this or do that. It's just something that, again, goes back to contributing to people and again, goes back to bringing value to people's lives. Um, and it's kind of like this really cool trickle effect where then they go share with others and then it kind of makes the world a happy place to be. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Tell me a little bit, if you will, if there, if you've had this experience, you know, what we can see in these industries, you as a woman, as a, as a successful entrepreneur, female CEO, you know, you're the pointy end of the spear in your business and the model and the decisions you're making, but you're in an industry that is, it's got lots of women in the industry as realtors in the world of real estate. It's not that there isn't, but there's certainly not as many women at the in the position that you're in, having created what you've created. Now, has that ever been a factor for you? Have you ever felt some pushback, you know, uh, as a woman in what conceivably could be somewhat of a man's world? And I'm not trying to make up stories, but I, I want to know your experience in in it, if there is any. What, what has it been for you? Yeah, absolutely. So it's about 3% of women are, are in leadership roles in private equity uh, companies. Mm. So trust me, when I show up to meetings, yeah, the majority of it is men. And what I did to kind of, uh, I guess I show up tall and strong with my shoulders back. But number one thing that I do is I got to be confident and I have to have confidence and competence, right? I need mm -hmm. to be well educated and I need to show up knowing my stuff. So, you know, in my company, we're partnering with investors and we're investing across borders. So there I'm dealing with two different governing bodies, two different taxations, two different security compliance. Um, so when it comes to all these factors and showing up in a room, I just make sure that I really know my shit. <laughs> and well, yeah. I mean, it is, it's interesting, right? Because I think that's the case, male or female. But, you know, so I, so I asked that question just because, you know, historically, so my wife, Stephanie, was uh, a skating coach in the NHL. She was the paid, first paid coach in the NHL in that capacity. And, and so she was very much an attractive woman in a man's world. And she had to make certain, I guess, adjustments, if you will, to be able to thrive in that industry, which she's done now for 30 years and gone on to do some amazing things. But so I asked that question to your point, 3% of women do that. Do you think, do you sometimes look at it and go, you know, I want to quit. I want to throw my hands up in the air. Like, is it, is it, or, or do you just put your shoulder into it and it makes it, it drives even harder? Yeah. The minute I want to quit, I even push myself even harder. I'm like, mm -hmm. there's been times like what I realized is being a woman in this man's world, it creates a lot of fear for me. It created a lot of anxiety. But what I did mm -hmm. was I took that fear and anxiety and I pivoted it into being my superpower. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, when I'm fearful of something or something is giving me anxiety, that's when you jump right in there. And then funny enough, I found out like I perform better when I'm under pressure. Um, so all of that being said, yeah, being a, uh, a woman in a man's world, it's definitely one of those things that it, 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 it makes you stronger. Um, I have a really funny joke 
when I show up to meetings, I was speaking on this panel with a bunch of really successful people in real estate, private equity. Like these guys are worth, I think one guy a billion dollars, the other one a couple hundred million. And I show yeah, up yeah, yeah. and they're yeah, all yeah. older, white, kind of chubby men, right? And I'm sitting there and they're like, what the heck? Who's this girl that just shows up? And it, it was incredible. And I think showing up and knowing your stuff, that's where respect starts happening, you know, and, mm-hmm. and your peers start having uh, the utmost respect for you. And, and that's kind of been my experience with it. Um, and then, yeah, just showing up again with confidence, Patrick, and and just living in the moment and not letting anything kind of hold you back. <laughs> well, I think, it, you know, it's such it's so great. I mean, they're wise words for anybody, you know, at the end of the day you know, uh, top performers are willing to stretch themselves and to put themselves in situations that are uncomfortable for them because they maybe have never done it before. They're just maybe beyond their scope of understanding knowledge or what they believe might be their capacity, but they're willing to, to take it on and, uh, you know, stretch themselves because, as much as that panel, for example, was intimidating for you and a little bit like, holy shit, what have I got myself into? You stepped into it anyways. You stretched. You had the experience that you had. Uh, you obviously didn't fall off the stage. You didn't, you know, shit the bed. You like you, you did what you had to do. And now it's a new level for you. Like, so the next time, next time you go on the panel, you're going on with another degree of, of uh, confidence, if you will, a different degree of preparation, perhaps, and knowing that you can pull this off, you got this right. And that's the thing about top performers. I want to ask you a question because you, you, you said it superpower. What's your superpower? My superpower is, yes. What is it? You want to know? It is relationships. Mm-hmm. I am like, that's how I built my company was being mm-hmm. really good at mm-hmm. being able to, to create really strong relationships with people, whether that's, that's relationships great. with my, um, you know, my operating partners, relationships with asset managers, relationships with passive investors, uh, relationships with high performers. Um, so that's kind of my superpower. That's fantastic. And, you know, I think that, you know, my superpower, because this is such a great body of work for anybody to do, is to really sit back and ask yourself, what is your superpower? We all have them. Okay. So I'll share with you. So my superpowers, I got a couple that are, you know, what I have the ability to do is mechanical inclination is very high with me. And I can like, look at a, look at something and figure out they, you know, like sometimes I'm referred to as the MacGyver of things because I, I have the ability to kind of take a piece of haywire and some tape and make things work. And, and I mean that not only f- physically in the mechanical world, but just in any situation, I have the ability to kind of look at things and make things work. Okay. So that's part of, that's really is my superpower in that regard. That's a good superpower to have. Patrick. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's not too much that comes at, uh, at me that I can't figure out and unwind. And that, and I mean that in a very direct mechanical sense, yeah. but also the ability to break things down and simplify them to be able to explain them. And I do that mostly for me because that's, I, and it translates for others who are going, that's really cool. Like you just kept it really simple. Yeah, no, I have to do it that way for me. <laughs> so I have to understand it. Okay. So do you have kryptonite? What's your kryptonite? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. Give me you an example. Know. Give me an example. Well, so my kryptonite used to be, and I had to deal with it, was it didn't matter what anybody said to me. Uh, it all, and I, and I, I'm going to say, how do I explain this? So 
people would say something, somebody would say something to me that I could improve on or that this didn't work out quite the way it should have, or why did you do it this way? Okay. Everything I heard, I heard as criticism. Okay. And it really shut me down. Mm -hmm. And it was the longest time. And then a, a good coach of mine, a, a friend and a coach of mine several years ago said, Patrick, you're, you're, you get shut down because you hear it as criticism and nobody's criticizing you. It's just a statement of fact. And they're giving you these insights so that you understand why things went the way they did or how to improve. You have to hear it differently. So it is still a bit of a kryptonite for me, by the way. Okay. Uh, even at many years later, but here's the difference is how I react. Yeah. Because when I hear it and it, in my brain, it translates into I'm being criticized. Yeah. I stop and I don't react to it. I go, no, let me just, let me dig a little bit deeper in my own mind of how that was said, what was said, and in the context it is. Now, I know where it comes from, by the way, it all, it always goes back. We, you know, it always comes back to something one of your parents said, but the point is this, is that that's my, that was my cryptosomite because it really shut me down. So that's the context for it. Okay. Really cool that you said that because I can completely relate to that. That is probably my, that, that probably was my, and, and still is my kryptonite as well. So I'm glad that you kind of mm -hmm. said that first, because that really made me start thinking. Yeah. When people would say anything to me, I would get shut down. And that goes way back to from when I was a little girl, I could never handle any kind of criticism or anything. Cause I was so, maybe I'm internally a very sensitive person mm -hmm. um, until I realized and this, and, and my mind, my, my, my kind of my mindset, my, my I had a shift, I guess, on the way when I would hear people that love me, people that are well-wishers talk to me and say, mm -hmm. Hey, and they'd point out something that I was doing possibly, or maybe, maybe something I needed to improve on. Um, and they would say, hey, you know, this, this, that. I realized, okay, you know what? I think in life we all need some trusted critics, right? We need, mm -hmm. we need some sure. trusted critics because as people, we identify with feedback. And by receiving that feedback and kind of taking it with, you know, maybe it doesn't feel so good when they say something, right? But knowing that they're there to kind of show us love and make us improve and make us grow, um, then yeah, that would be, um, and, and kind of shift our mindset there. But yeah, I think I'm going to say my, my kryptonite was probably that too, until I, until I realized how to work with it. And you said it's not, it, it, yeah, it might hurt, but it's how I deal with it, um, which is where the power becomes. Yeah. Well, it's the intention sometimes with what with the way it's delivered right you know so if i'm sitting with you know and i've got an amazing team so if i've got a team of people that are saying pf you got to get this handled or why did that go that way whatever that question might be you know i've got an amazing freaking team like they're off the charts we you know we are a huge family and you know so anything that they put at me that i hear is criticism i know it's my shit because they're not meaning it as criticism in any way shape or form that's not the intention behind it at all so whatever i'm filtering it through is my stuff not their stuff and and i think to your point about being sensitive to it and because i have probably the same qualities as you is that one of my highest values is relationship and of being a contribution so if you are trying to be a contribution and somebody said, well, you weren't, it wasn't that great. You know, it's like, oh shit, ah, oh, that hurts. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> okay, so we go down this. thing about being a sensitive person, right? There's always a good bad to it, Patrick. So we go down that path. So when you look at what you do in terms of your business and your business model, we talk about values, we talk about brand, you know, mission. You know, in, in, in terms of your own development, personally, professionally, you know, the, I often ask the question, and it's interesting, the diversity of answers I get, 
But you're a leader. When you think about your style of leadership, your quality of leadership, is that something that you study? Like, is it like, okay, how can I be a better leader? And and what is your kind of answer in behind that thought process of being a great leader? Of being a great leader. Yeah. First of all, to be a great leader, you really have to know yourself. You really, it starts with you. Okay. You really have to know yourself. What are your values? Who do you want to be? What changes do you want to make in the world? Um, and that's, that's the number one thing for being a great leader, I believe. But, um, also being a great leader is, is, and I was telling my team this the other day, but we were talking about like a mistake that was made and fail forward. Okay. And that was, that's kind of our, the call, you know, fail forward, take whatever failure that you've been through and turn it into a positive and learn from it. Um, so being a great leader. Yeah. I have read many, many things because coming from the world I was in to all the responsibilities that I have on my plate today, let me tell you, I kind of had to learn fast, um, managing teams and doing all this stuff. This is not something I've ever done before. Okay. Like when I say I built a real estate private equity firm from the ground up, there was no blueprint for me. I had to figure it out as I went. So yeah, it came to uh, me diving into books, seeing what other great leaders are doing, seeing how they manage things and learning from, obviously learning from great people around me as well. So when you, you know, you said something that was really interesting and, you know, well, you've said a lot of things that are interesting, but the one thing I want to dial in on this particular conversation around leadership is know thyself. You know, really understanding and knowing yourself. And is is that been an intentional part of your journey to understand what's your superpower? And that's that's also a level of understanding what your superpower is. You know, I, I open up a conversation about what's your kryptonite and you go, OK, well, that's an interesting thought. You take it on and you dig deep and you look at and really see where that kryptonite might live for you and might exist for you. So when you look at the personal development, professional development of it and leadership, do you kind of, uh, what's the word I want to use uh, for lack of better language right now is just, do you push that out with your team? Is that something that you engage your team with? Uh, do you challenge them to read certain things? Do you, uh, do you have discussions around values and, and personal values, professional values, business values? Is that part of how you even create your team? Yeah, no, absolutely. We actually, we, funny that you're bringing this up because we're, we're doing a lot of that right now. And we did sit down and we did talk about like the culture that we want in the workplace amongst each other. It's really important. Um, you know, what was I reading? Good to Great. There's a book oh, called great book. Good to Great. Yeah. And I yeah. love that book. And they're saying it's about the culture, right? It's about the people that work for your company. Um, you know, and, and that's really, really important to me. Uh, there's a saying, um, hire slow, fire fast, because mm -hmm. it's super important who's on your team and who you surround yourself with. They all have to be like-minded with the same values and everything else. And we were just talking with the team too. We're all going to pick a book and read that book and come back and all put our perspectives together on just that one book. Cause we're all going to have a different perspective on sure. that book and learn from each other. But yeah, it's about growing and learning. There's so much to learn. I mean, it's endless learning out there. Uh, not only, to, not only to just build the company, but yeah, to grow as on a personal level. Um, cause as you grow on a personal level, then you shine through your company and everything else. So yeah. When you consider, you know, there's a there's a term, and you may have heard it before, but uh, a term that I've often used, and that is high performance as a result of low tolerances. And low tolerances with 
not only your team, but with yourself. Now, often our life, our businesses are a reflection of what we tolerate, you know, where are our boundaries, what do we allow in, in our business model? And you, you said something that, you know, I love, which is what is the culture? What is the environment? What is the, you know, really, what does the team stand for in terms of the culture of your business? Because it permeates, it goes out into the universe, it goes out to your clients, etc. And when you align your team and you look at the vision, what are you sharing in terms of the vision for CPI? Do you see it as being a, you know, do you, is your goal to be a billion dollar assets under management? Or what 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 is your vision for for CPI? Well, my first vision, which is which is becoming a reality right now, which is really exciting, is, is to create a movement, a mass movement mm-hmm. for people to understand that they can invest in real estate passively, they can diversify their financial portfolios, they can build wealth while they'll focus on doing whatever it is that they love to do, whether they want to work more, spend time with family, but creating a movement. And then, yes, as far as assets under management and all that, we do have a goal in five years to be a billion dollars mm-hmm. of assets under management. We, we got started and when we started, we we started off really strong. Um, we mm-hmm. went kind of big fast um, and we're, we're working our way up there. Um, and, and the exciting thing is I looked at all the companies that are in this business and I kind of seen where they started to go hyperbolic. And it's always that third to five, three to five years when that sure. full cycle happens on those deals. Right. So um, our, our, our Again, we are we started with uh, Canadian Passive Investing. That was our company. That was the title of our company, right? Uh, then we switched it to CPI Capital because what we realized is there's a lot of U.S. investors starting to reach out to us now. So our vision is to, you know, we kind of have a monopoly here in Canada. So to help as many Canadians as we can. And then, of course, we're going to spread to the U.S., which we already have started to spread to the U.S. and really get ourselves well known there as well. You know, over the years that I've been, you know, in the real estate world and and speaking with, you know, many individuals that, you know, are in the similar kind of line of uh, business that you are, is is the mistakes that get made is the, the quick growth without the infrastructure to support it. You know, to your point, I think it takes that, you know, three, it takes a little bit of hard work and a little bit of a learning curve to understand that you have to have an an infrastructure that supports the growth, which ultimately supports your clients. And, you know, if you, if you, front build it, you may be spending too much money and overbuilding, and you have to be able to do it kind of in parallel with what you've got going on. And uh, I'm sure that's part of what your journey has been as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. We we kind of did it backwards, Patrick, building a real estate private equity firm. Most people, right, they start off they start off with one home, they flip it, then they move to a duplex, then a fourplex, and then sure. and then maybe a 10-unit multifamily. We're not even talking about the institutional size multifamily that are 100 plus stores and, you know, worth tens of millions of dollars. We started as a real estate private equity firm. So our mission, our goal was to build a big brand where people can sign up and be part of this big investor community. And then now you have to find the deal, right? The deal is a very important factor. We're talking about regions in the US. We're talking about, you know, North and South Carolina, Arizona, all these places. Um, and we, don't, we didn't have the infrastructure in place. And that was a really good point you made. Hey, you got to have infrastructure in place to make sure things go nice and smooth, right? Yeah. What we've created is, yeah, we've created this incredible invest investing streamlined process where investors can show up and be relieved from double taxation and all this fun stuff. But what we did was we got to find the deal now. And 
we obviously looked throughout Canada and we realized, okay, there's, there's, there's opportunities in Canada. But what we realized when we started exploring the U.S. is the the types of returns investors were achieve, were receiving through utilizing real estate syndication, you know, this concept where investors pull together sure. their capital. Um, we fell in love with it. So that's why we targeted the U.S. Now, what we did was we kind of joined the U.S. multifamily fraternity. Uh, we became really good friends with people. We, we, we obviously were, were starting to be seen everywhere. We went on, you know, all the events to the meetups, to the webinars. Um, and what we did was because we built such a powerful brand, CPI Capital, we started having operators who have the infrastructure in place in the regions we want to be in contact us with deals. Um, We were kind of recognized as a 51st state to the U.S. operators saying, hey, they got a whole country over there. They're, you know, they built this powerful brand. They have lots of investors kind of looking at us like the 51st state. It's a joke I always like to make. Um, so what CPI Capital has done is we have our we have our operating partners who have the infrastructure in place in the regions we want to be in. And then from there, we, we kind of cherry pick the best deals to present to our investor community. So I'm going to go back a little bit in this conversation. And, you know, the outcome that you've got and where you're going with CPI Capital is, you know, it's inspirational. It's a really fascinating a journey that you've been on or the thought process and, and where you're going is exciting. You know, the one thing that, you know, over the years that, you know, doing the research that we do and being in the real estate market and just really understanding the dynamics of what's happening in Canada economically, especially over the past couple of years, given uh, pandemic and all the things that are going on, a huge realization, or, and I don't want to say a huge realization, a I think it's more of a confirmation for me of just how small Canada is in the big scheme of things. We're not even a rounding error when you compare <laughs> what's happening in the U.S., you know, and I joke about that. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I love Canada born and raised here. But when you consider, you know, 37 or 38 million versus 10 times that, the scope of what's possible in the U.S. in terms of where you can invest, what you can do is is off the charts relative to what's happening here in Canada. And and once you've got that perspective, it's hard to even look at Canada through the same set of filters as you once looked at it, especially as, you know, as a young realtor growing up, right? It's like you come from Fort Saskatchewan into Vancouver and then you go, wow, this is big. And then you go, holy crap, is the (laughs) U.S. ever big? (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? So true. Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. So tell me, uh, Ava, when I want to go back a little bit about your journey, you know, when you look at your career and the span of your career growing up and realtor and Fort Saskatchewan, has there been some very definitive forks in the road, some choices that you've had to make and you can reflect on it, go and go, you know, if I, I could have gone that way or that way and I chose that way, you know, not, not everybody has that experience, but I'm wondering if, if you've ever hit that fork in the road where you look at it and go, holy cow, I could have been like that and that didn't happen. And I went this, you know, any of that show up for you? Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I could have been live a super comfortable lifestyle and I could have been, you know, kind of stuck in one spot and always wondered, you know, I think, I think a lot of people don't, uh, fear gets in the way and they completely Mm. are at a halt. They're like, no, I can't go any further. This is where I'm going to be. And they accept and they are, they kind of just accept the fact and they, they go from there with me. Yeah. I could have, should have, would have been somewhere, but I always look at it like there's, there's this thing it's called logical broke people or illogical millionaires. 
<laughs> I've not heard that, but that's awesome. That's very, very good. And I, and, and I, I always case. So my my family, my parents, they're they're they are like lo- the most logical people you'll ever meet. Okay, it's like accountants. Hey, yeah, go to school, get an education, save, save, save. Sure, you know, like, sure, sure. And then save up yeah. for your retirement, and then retire at the age of sixty-five. And success has no logic. You know what I mean? Like I was always mm-hmm. that person that was an illogical person, where I'm like, absolutely not. I'm gonna go and step outside of the box and do something crazy, risk it all. Um, so I don't have to be where I'm like, oh, I, 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 maybe I could have lived that life. You know, it's crazy when you, when you step outside the box and you kind of face fear, uh, that's when real magic starts to happen in your life. So I wonder, you know, for you, you know, there's a, there's a fundamental that I've come to realize after many years of coaching is that people may look at you and and they go, wow, Ava's done so cool. CPI is doing this and she's got this lifestyle. And so they look at that outcome and they want the outcome. They just don't want the journey to achieve the outcome or they're afraid of the journey to achieve the outcome. Now you, you've hit on a couple things uh, in this conversation, uh, you know, more than once now, which is around failure and around fear. Let's talk about fear first, because it's not like you're not facing fear as an entrepreneur. Uh, you face fear sometimes on a daily basis, certainly on a regular basis. There's some level of gut burn that goes on. What is your conversation with yourself? How do you break through that fear? Uh, you, you, you have it. We all have it. But how do you go, I'm doing it anyways? I mean, you know, how do you do that? You know what? People don't think about this. It's fearful to be broke, right? It's fearful to, to lose in life. That That's that's very fearful too. So you can take, you can be, have fear of, of being broke, not being able to pay the bills, or you can have fear into stepping into new things every day and learning and educating yourself and taking on the world. So regardless of what way you go, you're still going to have these emotions that come up, right? You're still going to have to to take on life in that way. What was your question again? I, I kind of... <laughs> Well, no, but you, but my question was around how do you uh, talk your way through fear? How do I talk my way through fear? You rationalize it going, you know, I could either, I could either be really afraid of what I'm doing here, or I can look at the other side of it and go, well, I'll be afraid there too. The conversation never really stops. It's interesting in, uh, you know, a survey, whatever it was, they've been millions of them done, but you know, what is the one thing people worry about, which is money and what is one of their greatest fears is being broke. And when you talk about, and when you ask the wealthiest people, uh, what their greatest fear or what their greatest worry is, it's about money. Yeah. And so it never goes away. So the point is, is that there's there's worry and there's fear all always. And, and what I heard you say is that you're just choosing what fear you're choosing. Yeah, I'm choosing what fear I'm choosing. And another, yeah, exactly. But another way I take on fear is once you can understand that fear is actually what's building you, that stepping into that fear is actually what's building you, molding you, like literally molding you in that moment. It sucks in that moment. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. But in that moment, if you can actually tell yourself, because the mind is so powerful, Patrick, you, you know this, right? Like the back of your hand, the mind is so powerful. So anytime in life that you're feeling fearful, and I've, I've learned this because I've been through it all. Um, I've been through some really hard times. 
I took that feeling and I said, this is benefiting me. This is gonna, this is gonna create some greatness. It doesn't feel like that right now. This sucks, but I know that it's gonna take me somewhere really great. Um, so that's how I pivot fear. Again, pivot anxiety, pivot fear. And I changed my mindset around it and say, okay, this is actually, this can actually be kind of exciting. In the moment, it doesn't feel like that, everyone. It does not feel like that, but it's about creating that mindset when you do feel like that, change how you react to it. Well, I love what you said in, in, you know, it's interesting that you uh, use that language and really great, by the way. And that is, is that in that moment, realizing that fear is molding you and you can either use that fear to mold you in a direction that takes courage and for you and, and, and feels brave and feels uncomfortable, or you can let that fear mold you into I'm staying where I'm at and actually backing down and not growing into what could be next. Now, there's a fundamental around that though, right? Which is fear is also there to protect you. You know, it's the old case of, you know, is that a lion in the grass or is that just a whole bunch of grasshoppers coming at you? So you know, and yeah. and so fear is there to protect you. Great and and it, it does ultimately serve you to have fear, but it's not there to shut you down. It's there to make you very curious as to what is behind the fear. Well said. What, yeah. What's your thoughts, Ava, in... You mentioned it earlier, fail forward. When you're looking at one of the, you know, we've been, we're, we're the real estate investment network has been around 30 years. I've been coaching for 25 years. Without doubt, the number one thing I hear is fear of failure. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you taking action? Why aren't you moving forward? I've got this fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you respond to that? Given your experience with dealing with fear, number one, number two, being a woman in a man's world, taking on and learning a thing, you know, a business and developing a business model, fear of failure had to show up for you. Or how do you view and and what's your what's your context for fear fear of failure? Fear of failure. This is you're gonna again. This is illogical mindset that I have, but it's it's one of those. I know this is, I'm not trying to sound cliche, but failure was not an option for me when it came to building my company. Right. So I, mm-hmm. I, I program my mind. Failure is not an option. Things are going to happen mm-hmm. along the way. Obviously this is a, this is a big thing that we're doing here. Things are going to happen along the way, but failure is not an option. Like I, when I started this, Patrick, I'm like, Hey, my, this is my life. This is everything to me. This is, this is my baby. I, I sacrificed starting my family so I can build CPI. Right. So it, failure is just not an option. There's no other way out. Does that kind of speak to kind of what you, what we're kind of talking about here? Well, sure. I think it, you know, yeah, fear of failure is not an option, but I think there's a couple of fundamentals that people, you know, work into, you know, so Fear is, of course, there's lots of acronyms for fear, but the reality of is that, you know, is it a catastrophic failure? You know, are you going to screw up? Are you going to fail? Is a project going to go south? Is, you know, are you uh, going to lose some money? A hundred percent at some point, it's going to happen. One hundred percent of the time, it's going to happen. You do not go through business or through life without something screwing up. I think what stops people is that they live into a catastrophic world. Yes. So they're they're looking like my whole, I'm going to, you know, the next thing you know, I'm going to be, you know, broke and pushing a... Yeah. Shopping cart down East Hastings, you know, like it's like they go there. Okay, yeah, they they take fear and they blow it up into something that is just unmanageable for them. So that's what stops them. I see what you're saying. A lot of people, yeah, that's a lot of people's difficulty when it comes to fear. 
So when you when you break down failure, are you just weighing the odds? Are you saying, okay, if this totally collapses, this goes south, you look at it, you know, I know for me, I do the math in my head and go, no, I'm, I'm good with it. I'll take the chance. And, you know, my worst case scenario is it's going to cost me X, you know, is how does your brain think? Exactly the same. I'm like, hey, you know what? You roll with the punches. And then the next time we do this, we figure out, okay, what systems can we put in place to one up that? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the way we kind of take on it. And yeah, this is how much I'm going to lose. That's that. We redo it better next time. You know, I'll share with you a story as, uh, you know, I, I, a, a, a good friend of ours and very, very wealthy. And uh, we were on his uh, boat in the, in the Caribbean several years ago on his, on his sailboat type yacht. And I was having a conversation with him and I thought, I got I'm going to really pick his brain. You know, so I said, you know, I said, Brian, okay, dude, like you've done all this, you've accomplished all this. And I was still getting to know him, by the way, and my wife and I were on the boat and uh, with his crew. And it was really kind of very, very cool, a great experience. And I said to him, I said, so, Brian, I said, you've accomplished so much. And financially, you're hitting it out of the park. And, you know, like, how have you done and achieved what you've achieved? And he looked at me and he said, I don't make mistakes. And like, it took me a minute. I'm going like. I didn't even know how to respond to that. I was like, in my mind, I'm going, well, that's really arrogant. And like, what the hell? You know, like, I was just, it didn't, it literally didn't compute in my brain. For sure. So and what did he mean by that? Well, what he, then there was a, that awkward pause because I'm like speechless. And he goes, I just get a result. It's either a result I want or a result I don't want. And if it's a result I don't want, I just put in the correction and move on. And he says, people hang out in this. I made a mistake. He says, Get the fuck over it. Like yeah. you didn't make a mistake. You just got a result. You didn't go in with, I'm going to make a mistake. You went in with, I make a decision. I'm going to do this. And uh, I got a result. So he reframed even the word mistake, which you then reframe the word failure. And he just said, I got a result. And uh, now I look at it and go, do I want to put in the correction? And can I take this initiative and move it forward? Or do I kick it to the curb? And it's either a result I want or it's a result I don't want. And you know something? I sometimes forget about that lesson that he taught me. But I tell you what, it's really easy to get grounded in that thought process. It's not a mistake. It's just a result. That is powerful. That is powerful. And that's another incredible reason why surround yourself with incredible people. (laughs) It is. Things you learn. And now you just taught that to me. I love that. (laughs) There was a, you know, there's, this is really, uh, you know, I've shared this uh, on the show many times, which is, you know, surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. If you're the smartest person in the room on any given day, then you're in the wrong room. And uh, I'm really blessed, you know, even with my team, with the Real Estate Investment Network, uh, you know, uh, everybody on the team smarter than I am. So, (laughs) really good and uh, uh, it's it's a it's a great place to be now when you look in going forward uh Ava when you look at what CPI capital is going to do when you look at what's happening in the world uh, economically and the global you know whether it be debt or whether it be pandemic or endemic or shutdown or lift up like what is your when you look into the world in that way are you still being able to bust through it to be very optimistic about the future? I'm assuming yes, but how are you digesting and filtering all of the, I mean, because it's such a divisive world that we're in right now. 
lots of polarity. What is it for you and how do you look to the future with your business, with your clients and, and still remain optimistic in spite of what seems to be hanging out there as the potential risks? No, for sure. Great question, Patrick. The one good thing about my business and the sector that I'm in, the multifamily sector that I'm in, is that everybody needs a place to live. So through the 2008 financial crisis and through 2019, 2020 COVID pandemic, multifamily sector is still one of the best performing mm-hmm. assets out there because everybody needs a place to live. The government started printing off you know, trillions of dollars and helping people pay their rents. So we didn't really see that big of a shift for us, even so much so that our sector got more competitive because all the hospitality and, and, you know, the industrial, all the big guys started flocking to multifamily. So it even got a little bit more competitive. Um, so when it comes to that, yeah, you got to roll with the punches. You got to take calculated risks. You got to make sure that you kind of, um, know your stuff, but yeah, we're, we're kind of in that, that, that place where, you know, everybody needs a place to live. So it's a good place to be. Um, and we're mm-hmm. focused and I'm solely focused on the multifamily sector. You know, I get, mm-hmm. I get approached right. with all these different senior living and, and, you know, storage and industrial. Um, but I, I keep my peer focus on multifamily. So we're, we're wa- taking a close, we're watching it very closely and, and we'll kind of roll with the punches as things go. Yeah, but you when you look at it and you look at what's happening economically, like you say, obviously you see, you know, you see a future in the world that says, okay, whatever happening right now, we're going to get through it and we're going to be able to manage our way through it. So is there any additional diligence that you do? Any other, you know, are you more cautious in some areas? Is there any insights you can share there? And there may not be. I'm just I'm just kind of curious as to how you are viewing the world economically because you're you're you know you're doing multi million dollar deals. You're looking economically at different U.S. Uh, cities and states, and and does it even shift for you from state to state? You know what? Well, first off, there's one another key factor that kind of sets us feeling okay is there's there's not enough supply for the demand for the rental units in the U.S. Yeah. And yeah. of course, we know like everybody's talking interest rates are going to be increasing, which means in my business that the cap rates are going to be increasing, which means that the rental yields are going to go down. And you know what? Yeah, it might affect the investor returns potentially. Um, so that's a conversation that we'll have when we get there. Um, but keeping in mind multifamily, the type of returns we achieve for our it's okay if they're a little bit lower. It's okay, but mm-hmm. we gotta roll with the punches as th- those kind of things kind of kind of happen. Because of course, interest rates are gonna go up, so that inflation can kind of be put to a halt. Um, so yeah, we're just kind of taking it uh, step by step, Patrick, when it comes to. Okay, so I'm gonna put you on the spot because I got put on the spot lots of times. Interest rates, you, U.S. and Canada. So you're in the U.S. You're playing in the U.S. as well as in Canada. What's your forecast for interest rates in the next, I don't know, 18 months? Um, I believe that they might go up 50 basis points. In Canada or in, in the, the US, U.S. or both? Sorry, in the U.S. In the U.S., 50 yeah, basis points. How about points? you for Canada? I'm curious. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think 50 basis po- okay. points. Okay. Yeah, I don't see how uh, we can, I don't see how Canada, even the U.S. can can raise rates in a meaningful way yeah. without, without, taking things way off way off course. course. Yeah. 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 So that's my, that's my, my view of the world. I guess we're going to see it. We're going to see. I, uh, I, I, I won some beers on the last one because I had some bets with some mortgage brokers actually who had uh, forecast uh, a 
a quarter or half a percent increase, even this last round in Canada, okay. uh, what it, in, in January. And I went, no, I said, there's going to be like zero or 25 basis points at best. Okay. And okay. anyways, so we had beers. I won. I won. Maybe I'll, by say, the way. Maybe I'll say 25 basis points in Canada. And if I win, then I get a free year <laughs> membership to Ray. <laughs> there you go. That's a pretty serious <laughs> bet. Wow. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, I don't know. I'll have to, I don't know. We'll but I think... <laughs> Well, I think I think I think we're pretty much aligned on where we think we interest are, rates yeah. are going. Okay, so this has been an awesome conversation, but we do have to wind it down. I want to be respectful of your time as well. And uh, when I say wind it down, you know, I have what what I would call uh, rapid fire questions. They're meant to be rapid fire. They seldom are, but let's let's see what we can do. Uh, this one is not so rapid fire, but I do want to ask you this question: When we look at how you operate on a day to day basis, how you look after yourself, do you have a a, you know, uh, a routine, a, a morning routine, an evening routine, a self-care routine. Uh, do you meditate? Do you journal? Do you work out? Give me a little bit of insights in how do you look after yourself? Because, you know, I think the one message that everybody needs to get is that you, they, we are the center of our universe and we must look after ourselves. And I know you do. I'd like to know a little bit about your routine, Ava. Of course. Yeah. I really take my mental health seriously and that's what comes first. So in order to make sure that my mental health is always on track and if it's ever going off track, I, I bring it right back. Um, but that is, yeah, doing self-care things. So I have a nighttime routine. I'm in bed quite early. Um, I, mm-hmm. I People laugh at me, but I do like to call it a night at around 9 p.m. Um, mm-hmm. And I th- I feel like a good, good rest is really important for me. And then I like to start my mornings off very early around that 5 a.m. Um, if I'm, my body needs a little bit more sleep, then my body needs a little bit more sleep. I get about 530. Um, but every day I make it a, a focus to spend five, 10 minutes sitting in silence, sitting in mm-hmm. meditation, not trying to think of anything. And if thoughts come mm-hmm. to my mind, I breathe in and breathe out. And I kind of give mm-hmm. myself that peace in the morning, because if you can start your day off right? God, you could take on the whole world. Um, the next step is every single day. Maybe I miss a day here and there, but go to the gym. I don't do, I don't do a crazy workout every day, but I move Mm -hmm. my muscles and I keep my muscles nice and strong. That's super important for mental health as well. And to keep your physical state, right? You know, as we get older, God, time starts to fly and we want to make sure our bodies stay healthy and strong. That's kind of my routine. I'm very particular with what I put in my body. Uh, that again goes to mental health and to physical health. Um, So I'm very, very particular with what I put in my body. I'm very kind of holistic when it comes to doing certain things like that. Yeah, so sure. very important. So those are those are a couple of my routines. Um, I love going and being crazy and going paddle boarding and hiking and all that kind of stuff. But as far as a night and morning routine, that's kind of what I what I stick to. You know, sleep um, is such an important aspect of what we do. And, um, you know, you're you're an early riser. You hit the racks around nine. So are you aware of how much sleep you need? Like, I know for me, six and a half hours, if the, if the quality of sleep is there, yes. like if I actually get into RAM and my heart rate comes down below resting and all the rest of it, six and a half hours is like a home run. I could have eight hours and not feel as rested as I do with six, half, six and a half hours if uh, my the quality of sleep is in there. So I'm, I'm like you, I'm, 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 I go to bed around 10 and I get up around five, five 30 and, or sometimes earlier. But the point is, is that sleep is, it's been my focus for a number of years now. Like it is so, so important. So do you have a, a magic number of hours that you know is kind of like anything less than blah is doesn't work? 
you know, anything what less is it than for... five, six hours is not good for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm just that I person. Don't... I need a little bit more sleep than the than the nor like than the average person. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely my body. That's why I kind of plan on on yeah when I go to bed earlier, and then when my body kind of wakes up. 30, 5, 5.30, then I'm good. Um, but yeah, anything less than that, yeah, I could, I could feel it. And I've been like that for a very long time. Yeah, I, I've been an early riser all of my life. And, you know, the thing about that I've learned is that whether I, I, I never set an alarm, I just don't need to. I've never have needed to. Uh, six and a half hours is my magic number. And consistently, that's what it is. You know, six hours and 20, six hours and 45. You know, and occasionally if I'm really tired or if I'm, whatever it might be, I might get over seven, even when I want to, I go, no, I want to sleep longer. Nah, yeah, no, you don't need it. So anyway, it shuts me down how quickly we digress. Okay. On to the next question. Favorite book. What have you got for a favorite book or one that you was most impactful that you would even gift? Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Who Not How. You know, Dan Sullivan is He's a legend, that right? guy. Yeah. Is it honestly people Christ. who are listening, you gotta read that book because I'm yeah. telling you the, the the shift in your life when you read that book, you'll be like, Oh, mm. okay, I'm gonna become a, a master of uh, delegation. <laughs> who who not how? I'm gonna read that book now. Awesome. I have not read it. Okay. iPhone or Android? iPhone. Okay, I won't hold that against you. And I'm an iPhone guy too. I'm, I'm converted, but I don't know what. Do you have an everybody Android? makes it. A, Do you have an Android? What's the big? I used to be Android. I'm oh, going. Okay. I used to just have have a Samsung, and I'm, you know, and then you know, JG, you know, he's like putting pressure on me, and I finally go over to Apple, and I'm going, okay, well, what's the big deal? <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> it was the time, Patrick. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> you now you sound like JG. Okay, uh, do you have a favorite swear word? Oh God. Do I have a favorite swear word? Oh gosh, the fact that you even have to think about it. <laughs> probably, oh God, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I don't that's awesome. I don't swear a whole lot. I'm thinking like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you know, so it's interesting because, um, you know, the, 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 guests, you know, the guests I have on the show, there's such a range of, you know, and I always feel guilty because somebody like you, because I'm an F-bomber all day long and, and uh, wait, no, no, I shouldn't say that. I will go there. It's not like I'm F-bomber. <laughs> I'll go there. And then I meet somebody like you and I, what's your favorite? Uh, no, I don't swear. No, it's not. And I go, really? How can you be expressive if you don't swear? I say, if I, I say if, I, if I have a swear word that I use when I'm in the zone or something, it'd probably be the F-bomb. Okay. 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 Well, that makes me feel better. Yeah, okay. Sure. If, uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? Great job on living your best life. <laughs> Perfect. Patrick, these are great questions. <laughs> what, what, I know, what are, what, they're hard questions. I've been asked these questions. <laughs> totally not prepared at all. I just throw it at you like, what the hell are you doing? Okay. What are you not very good at, but you do it anyways? Public speaking. Oh, really? Okay. I'm, I'm surprised by that. I, oh, maybe. Okay. I'm good at it, but I don't like doing it. Maybe. Is that, did I, ah, did I switch it interesting. around? Did I switch it around? Interesting. No, that's good though. That's good. Okay, your room, your desk, or your car. What do you clean first? What do I clean first? My desk. Oh, you're one of those people. I'm one of those people. <laughs> I, I, I literally cannot operate in clutter. So everything always has to be, you know what I mean? I, sim simplistic. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite tune or favorite uh, group? The Piano Guys. Piano Guys. Okay. Now, now I got something else to look up. Okay. Yeah, do you have yeah. a favorite movie? 
A favorite movie um, is going to be uh, my favorite movie is Cinderella, actually. That's my favorite movie to this day. <laughs> now, which the original Cinderella or the newer versions of Cinderella? The original. Didn't they do? The original. Yeah. yeah. I love that movie. It still gives me butterflies and just makes me feel so like happy and free. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And Ava, what are you grateful for? I am grateful for living my full purpose every day. Beautiful. Oh, gosh, we didn't even get to purpose and calling. Yeah, that's I'm a whole also, other story. Yeah, it's a whole <laughs> other one. We'll get on, We'll get into that on another day. That. Next time we have a, a, a podcast. Ava, I am so grateful, as always, for my guests and for you today in sharing your uh, lessons learned and your journey and uh, appreciate you so much. I'm also very grateful always for my family, for my health, for the country that we do live in called Canada, regardless of all the controversy. <laughs> I'm grateful too, absolutely. <laughs> so thanks for joining me today on the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Thank you so much, Patrick. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.